the people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history of Welcome and thank you for once again tuning into a brand new episode here at Sake On Air. The world's podcast dedicated to expanding the dialogue surrounding Japan's iconic beverages of sake and shochu. This week, we will be continuing the month's series examining the world of sparkling sake, where this week we bring you a pair of interviews with sake makers that have been instrumental in both evolving and improving the style of sparkling sake across the board. This week, regular host here on the show, Chris Hughes, first sits down with Mr. Hitoshi Suzuki who is president of Ichino Kura, along with his sales representative, Ms. Erina Nakamura, where together they discuss what's largely considered to be the industry's first commercialization of a naturally fermented sparkling sake product, which is the Miyagi-based brewery's beloved Suzune. That, along with the sake's roots in their other popular line of sake, Himezen. Following that discussion, Chris then invites CEO of leading sparkling sake producer, Yamanashi Meijo, the makers of Shichiken, Mr. Tsushima Kitahara, and together they discuss not only the technical evolution of their sparkling sake, but also how committing to the style as a core of their business has resulted in sparkling sake now making up more than 30% of their overall sake production with the dedication to the ever-improving quality and communication around the style, then leading them to opportunities and partnerships that are opening brand new doors for the wonderful world of sake. So with that, let's go ahead and get started with our interview together with Mr. Suzuki and Ms. Nakamura of Ichino Kura. So, um, today we are welcoming uh, Ichino Kura, uh, Shuzo, uh, in Miyagi Prefecture, I have with me the uh, CEO, uh, Mr. Suzuki, and I also have um, one of his uh, employees, uh, uh, Ms. Nakamura. I will I'll ask them to introduce themselves, uh, first of all. So, uh, Mr. Suzuki, would you mind introducing yourself and uh, Ichinokura Shuzo to our listeners? Thank you. Hello. My name is Suzuki, and I'm CEO of Ichinokura. Our company was founded about 50 years ago in 1973, when four small sake breweries in Miyagi Prefecture joined forces, each of the breweries of an old brewery, some of them more than 300 years old, for young brewers in their 20s and 30s, including my father, who was in his 30s at the time, set out to improve the quality and modernize the management of the breweries and created a new brewery, which they named Ichinokura. Ichinokura translates into English as ace brewery and means, also means old, only one sake brewery. Uh, sorry, I'm not very good at speaking English. <laughs> That was very good. 
That was very good. So Mr. Suzuki has been practicing and his hard work has paid off. That was absolutely fantastic. So actually we're going to conduct, we'd love to conduct this interview with Mr. Suzuki speaking in English, but English isn't his first language. And although he has been practicing um, so that, you know, it's kind of easier to listen for our listeners, um, we've asked uh, his uh, employee, uh, one of the employees at the company, Ms. Nakamura, to step in uh, because uh, one of her kind of native tongues is English. So Ms. Nakamura, would you mind introducing yourself? What is your role at the brewery? And uh, a little bit maybe about your, your story about sake, just very, very briefly. My name is uh, Elina Nakamura. Um, I am the sales rep of Ichinokura, uh, in, especially in the Tokyo area. Fantastic. Okay, so without further ado, I'm going to ask some questions which we've I've prepared. Um, so the first question is, um, Ichinokura is the first brewery in Japan to kind of produce a sparkling sake, I think. Uh, how did this come about? And what was the inspiration behind the first product? This product goes back about 40 years. At the time, sake was not popular with young people or women, and the consumption was slowing down. In 1982, his father went on a study trip to Europe to learn about the alcoholic beverage culture. While in Paris studying wine, he tried a Belgium rhombic beer, which was very popular at the time. The beer was very sour, aromatic, and not very frothy like wine. Next, he visited Vienna, Austria, and uh, drank a mug of bubbly new wine in a tavern run by a viticulturist, Harrier. The experience of the drinking beer like a wine and uh, wine like a beer made him realize that there are no barriers between wine and beer. He began to imagine a world in which there could be uh, sake like wine and sake like beer. When he returned to Japan together with his friend from the other breweries, he set about crafting sake that was like a sweet white sake wine. This uh, later became our popular sake, Kimazen. However, the sake was not yet sparkling. And, um, so to what extent is your sparkling sake inspired by sparkling wine, would you say? I mean, you kind of already answered this, but maybe if you can elaborate a little bit further. It's true that uh, there was a big influence, but we have had to find our own way of making sparkling sake, as it is difficult to do so within the rules of the law the Japanese liquor tax law. For example, if sugar or yeast is added to the steel sake in order to facilitate a second fermentation, under the law, it is classified as a liquor or something else, but not sake. So our production process is not directly influenced by wine. 
That's right. So under the liquor tax law in Japan, it becomes like a zashu or a liqueur. It's a completely different category. And when many people think about sparkling wine, the first thing that I think comes to mind for a lot of people is champagne. But your sparkling sake is actually not produced using the traditional champagne method, is it? Can you explain how it is produced and why you chose that method? And what is the difference between your two products, Suzune and Himezen? Himezen. Uh, having successfully commercialized and marketed the Himazen in the 1990s, uh, we began to develop sparkling sake as our next product to expand the possibilities of sake. His father first thought of creating something like champagne and uh, actually set off on a visit to a champagne region. However, as I mentioned earlier, uh, he found it difficult to apply the traditional champagne method uh, to a sake under uh, Japan's liquor tax law, and uh, the price would be too high. So he gave up on that idea. Just as he was about to give up, uh, he came upon a tavern outside Champagne uh, where he discovered a Belgian beer. This time, uh, it was a second fermentation type called uh, Goose or Creek. This beer is made by adding a newer and completed beer to a completed uh, beer to provide uh, the fuel for the second fermentation and is in fact the direct inspiration for the uh, production of Suzume, our other sparkling sake. The difference with Himazen is that it naturally has enough sugar to start the second fermentation. Himazen and Suzume are like mother and daughter. Oh, that's really poetic, I like that mother and daughter, that's very easy to, uh, to understand. Yeah, I guess it is in their evolution as well. So um, what challenges did you face in the early days of production? And did, I mean, you already talked about the restrictions that are put in place by the liquor tax law, but did any of the breweries help you to overcome the problems that you had? And had any other breweries tried making sparkling sake before, even as just a one-off or an experimentation? And was there anything you were able to reference from their um, discoveries? In the case of our sparkling sake, uh, it is necessary to pasteurize the sake to stop the secondary fermentation. It took many attempts to develop a bottle and cap that could withstand this. We were able to create our current bottle with the help of the bottle and the cap manufacturers. At that time, uh, there was no category or market for sparkling sake, so it was uh, not possible to develop a market with uh, just one company's product. So we decided to open up the Suzume process patent uh, to our very friends uh, who had worked with us on the development of Mishimazen and uh, together we created a new market. 
I see. And uh, maybe some people are wondering, uh, how, how, how did the name for your sparkling sake, Himeze and Suzune, come about? Is there a kind of like a story behind the naming? The name Himeze is derived from Himesama Gozen, a sort of toy set of banquet plate that Date Masamune, the warlord who ruled the Tohoku region in the Middle Age, gave to his young bride when she was still a child. We named Himezen after this because it is aimed at the women. The name Suzune comes from the image of the gentle sound of the bubbles coming out of a glass, like the sound of a bell. Ah, oh, that's fantastic. People can maybe Im imagine that. And yeah, it's true that in Japan, uh, traditionally, women don't really drink a lot of sake, so it makes sense that you would want to target that market. And I think that's a great way of doing that. Um, and speaking of markets, how has the market for sparkling sake changed since the launch of your first product? And how much influence do you think your product has had on bringing about that change? Uh, it was not only the sake market that responded, but also, for example, uh, women who do not uh, like beer. As a result, uh, a new market for sake was born. We thought that drinking himezen or suzune uh, would be a good introduction to real sake. Uh, but uh, now uh, we have created a market uh, where people who don't drink sake at all, people who re uh, prefer RTD, for example, when sour, can also pick up a bottle. Oh, that's fantastic. And uh, how do you see the role of sparkling sake in your lineup or in the industry as a whole? And how do you see that fitting in with sparkling wine overseas? Uh, there are three categories of sparkling sake. Uh, there is uh, authentic nigoritai, like Tsuki no Katsura's nigori sake, where the primary fermentation is still continuing in the bottle. And then uh, there is uh, the low alcohol sparkling type, like Suzune, which has a residual sweetness. Uh, the light type with uh, a low alcohol content uh, can be enjoyed by relatively light users uh, in the industry. It is also a sparkling sake that can be enjoyed in a relatively casual setting, uh, as is uh, the case with the, the real sake uh, made by Takara Shuzo. Thank you very much for giving us a rundown of the categories as well. That's fantastic. And uh, can you explain your strategy with regards to promoting sparkling sake overseas and which countries have you found the most success and if you can like can you answer why do you think that might be the original suzune sake uh, has a low alcohol content and uh, is of a light cloudy type it can uh, take about one three months for it to reach uh, its export destination, uh, during which time uh, the quality is likely to change. So, uh, in fact, uh, we only export a small quantity of the original Suzune. 
After that, uh, there is a transparent type of susne called the susne wabi, which is not a second fermentation in the bottle, but uh, a second fermentation uh, in the tank. Uh, in other words, uh, uh, the Sherman method. We exported uh, to Southeast Asia, America, North America, and London. But London uh, is uh, our smallest uh, export market. Singapore is the biggest uh, uh, exporter. We have been awarded uh, the uh, IWC trophy uh, in the sparkling category twice. So I think we have a very good reputation in the term of quality. As I mentioned earlier, uh, it is a sake with a casual taste, but when we export it, the price up and it becomes more formal. This is where we find it very difficult. Right. Okay. Yeah, of course. You can't quite market it as the same casual beverage because of the price uh, point. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm happy to hear that London is one of the countries that you export to, but uh, it seems that there's a lot more work to do there to make it popular, but it's great that it's receiving so much acclaim in the IWC and contests like that. And um, how was your sparkling sake received when you first launched it? And has opinion changed since then? And if so, why do you think that is? Uh, as for our sparkling sake, uh, as I said, it is a light in alcohol and sweet. That's why it is very popular among foreigners uh, as an aperitif. It's a sweet sake, but um, it's a natural sweetness uh, that comes from the rice. So uh, it's the same sweetness you get when you eat rice. This is why it was a big hit in Japan, uh, where many sushi restaurants in Tokyo had it on their menus. When it was launched, uh, it was well received by women, especially those who find it difficult to drink sake uh, due to its high alcohol content and uh, those who find the beer too bitter, who said that uh, they could enjoy our sake at sushi restaurant. I think myself included, I think many people will be surprised to hear that it was such a hit in sushi restaurants. It's not perhaps something that we think of. Um, and uh, in sparkling wine, acidity is key, but sake is typically low in acidity, right? So in wine, the acidity can be adjusted through the selection of grapes and addition of acidifiers, etc. But in the case of sake, this is not legally permitted. So how on earth do you solve that problem? The acidity product is high. This acidity is actually a result of the lactic acid in the sake. What we mean by this is that during the fermentation process, lactic acid is added to the sake. Also, in some cases, lactic acid bacteria are also... In the case of Nesusune and Himezen, uh, the fermentation process is stopped in the middle and uh, the sweetness is left in the sake. 
So it is uh, acid uh, that we added afterward. Uh, it is a residual uh, lactic acid uh, from oh, wow. production. Okay, that's really interesting. I never, I never kind of thought about that, like the lactic acid being one of the key acids in sparkling sake. Um, how much of a key role do the ingredients, rice, water, and yeast, etc., play in your sparkling sake production? And are you producing any ingredients, especially for making your sparkling sake? It is a yeast that uh, produces uh, a lot of malic acid, which is the reason why uh, it has a rather fruity aroma. But uh, there is uh, one more thing uh, compared to the original Suzume, the uh, exported uh, Suzume Wabi, uh, also use uh, a special type of the rice as um, its raw material. Uh, this rice is called the Shunyo. Uh, it has a low level of protein. So when we make the Suzumiwabi, uh, it imparts a uh, muscat-like armor, more so than the original Suzume. How important is the base sake for making a, a sparkling sake? The base sake for our sparkling sake uh, is a lower alcohol version of Himezen which is uh, still in the process of the fermentation. It is important uh, for our production to take into account the balance of the sweetness and acidity in the secondary fermentation. I see. Oh, it's really not, it's really not an easy task to make sparkling sake, is it? And on the same note, uh, one of the most important things about sparkling sake, of course, is the mousse, the, the kind of the mouthfeel of the gas. And how, how do you adjust the strength of the mousse? Is that possible with, with sparkling sake? In terms of the simple gas pressure, uh, this is very difficult. Uh, but uh, in the manufacturing process, uh, we can forecast and calculate the number of yeast involved in the secondary fermentation. And uh, through many failures, uh, we have uh, honed the techniques uh, to repeat uh, the process in the same way uh, over and over again. So uh, we have been able to uh, produce a very consistent quality in terms of the number of yeast, uh, the temperature, and uh, therefore the gas pressure during the uh, second fermentation. Until then, um, we had many failures. We have a room uh, for the second fermentation, and uh, for each uh, lot uh, in that room, we put a gas pressure gauge on a sample uh, bottle uh, in the lot, uh, let it uh, uh, go through the second fermentation, uh, stop it, uh, cool it, uh, and ship it. Uh, I think uh, the most important thing uh, is uh, the mouthfeel, which is uh, the mousse uh, of the natural secondary fermentation. Uh, the most uh, important uh, uh, thing uh, is uh, that mousse has that nice softness of the second fermentation, which is uh, different from the mousse uh, of sake, 
that has had the gas added on later. That's so true. So um, my final question uh, is about um, aging. Uh, do you uh, age, have you ever aged your sparkling sake? And is that a thing? Uh, aging sparkling sake, have you tried that? And what kind of results uh, have you had any su success with that? Low alcohol sparkling sake are not uh, suitable for aging and uh, are best drunk fresh. Uh, our product, Suzune Gala, uh, is a clear sparkling sake made via uh, the Shalma method. Uh, with an uh, alcohol content of 9%, uh, which is aged uh, for more than six months, almost a year. Uh, it's a little less sweet. Uh, it is not an aperitif, but rather a drink to be enjoyed with food. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. I really want to try that. That sounds amazing. I've never really had a lot of aged sparkling sake. Um, Finally, do you have like a message for our listeners? Uh, any new products that you have in the pipeline? Uh, any kind of wishes you have for people out there? I see a lot uh, of the potential uh, for sparkling uh, in the future. Ordinary sake uh, matures at a faster rate uh, than white or red wine. If we can age it well, we may be able to achieve uh, with sake uh, what takes uh, 10 years with vintage champagne uh, in just uh, five years. We often talk about this with other breweries uh, and uh, say that uh, if we can improve our aging techniques, we can make a sake that is better than vintage champagne. Oh, wow, that is that is quite a quite a claim. Uh, you've laid down the gauntlet for champagne there. Uh, we're very excited to see what happens in the realm of sparkling sake in the future. Thank you very much, uh, Nakamura-san and uh, Suzuki Shacho. Thank you very much uh, for your time and uh, for sharing your insight about how you make sparkling sake and your dreams for the future as well. Thank you both very much. And um, uh, we look forward to seeing what you produce uh, in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Next up, we jump right into Chris's interview together with CEO of Yamanashi Meijo, makers of Shichiken Sake, Mr. Tsushima Kitahara. So your style of sake, uh, sparkling sake is uh, following the guidelines of the uh, our sake uh, association, the Bubbly Sake Association, uh, of which you are a member. That's correct, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Uh, so could you uh, start, uh, Mr. Kitahara, by telling us a little bit about the history of your brewery yep. and the story behind your brand? So um, my brewery uh, has um, established in um, this place, Hakushu, in Yamanashi Prefecture in 1750. We um, continue brew the sake for 271 years. So now I'm the 13th generation the founder, and uh, uh, we brew the uh, sake only Tokute Mesho, which is uh, Honjozo and Jumai, the Dairinjo, and Sparkling. 
So um, now our shipping sake is more than 90% is um, Junmai uh, style. So a few years later, we brew the uh, sake only Junmai style. And also we brew the uh, sparkling sake from uh, 2014. Uh, we just focus on um, uh, second fermentation style and uh, high gas pressure, such as 5.0 gas volume, and no uh, adding sugar, um, and then pasteurization. So we can brew the uh, standable style of the sparkling sake. Um, we have the eight kind of the uh, sparkling sake right now. It is the uh, most, you know, um, so many kind of brewing the sake in Japan. With the release of a collaboration product with the great uh, Alain Ducasse, uh, you've recently been gaining more and more recognition for your sparkling sake, but sparkling sake isn't necessarily your primary and only focus. Can you tell us how big is the focus on sparkling sake and can you explain how it fits in with your, in your overall kind of product lineup, your portfolio uh, and why that is? Okay, so as I told you, um, we brewed the sparkling sake from 2014. Um, the, you know, the uh, sparkling sake of the definition is brewed with a rice, koji, and water, that's it. Such a champagne, we add sugar and we add yeast, right? But we cannot add sugar and yeast. So it is really difficult to brew the uh, sparkling sake in uh, sake uh, brewery uh, in Japan. And why it is difficult is um, we have to, you know, um, a measure, um, we have to control the gas pressure. We have to control the alcohol rate. And also, we have to uh, uh, control the uh, sweetness, such as uh, Nihon Shudo. So that the three biggest point is really, you know, uh, important for us. And also, it is really difficult to control such as three points. So that is why um, not so many breweries in Japan can brew sparkling sake. So um, my brewery have um, eight kinds of the sparkling sake, which is the, uh, um, you know, uh, second fermentation style. So um, we brew the sparkling sake the more than 25%. Yeah, so um, the reason why uh, you, you can't add sugar and you can't add uh, the things that you add when you make champagne, this is due to the regulations put in place by the uh, tax, uh, liquor uh, uh, tax law in Japan. That's correct, right? Yeah, exactly. If we uh, add sugar or yeast, uh, the alcohol is not sake. Right. Just for liquor. Right, the category becomes a liqueur, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a in Japanese a zashu, right? Zashu. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and so if you want to add more yeast, can you add like uh, the moromi from uh, from another sake? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So exactly. You yeah. have to use something which is created in the sake production process, correct? 
Yep. Okay. So my next question is, uh, most people think of sparkling sake as just sake with gas in, but you've actually built the sparkling element into your branding. It's actually an important cornerstone of your branding. Can you explain a bit about your branding strategy and what influenced you to design your sake in this way? So um, the alcohol market in Japan, uh, more than 60% of the alcohol volume is in green gas, which is natural gas and uh, artificial gas. So we can say the Japanese people really love the uh, sparkling alcohol. So that is why we um, focus on uh, sparkling sake from 2002, maybe. And then, so the, you know, Japanese people really love kanpai, right? <laughs> so uh, people, you know, usually kanpai with beer, but, you know, like uh, such a sushi place in Ginza, uh, it's a fancy place. People sometimes come by with champagne, but I don't like it, that style. So we have to change the Kampai uh, style, beer to sake sparkling, uh, champagne to sake sparkling. So um, that is our, you know, uh, most important mission. And also, uh, the sparkling sake has not big history, just 20, 25 years in Japan. That, that's really key. That's really important. Yeah. That's a really important point. So we can say not so many breweries could brew such a sparkling sake. So it's, you know, we, we say it's a brew ocean for us. So uh, we focus on a sparkling sake, um, uh, money and technique, everything focus on you know, sparkling sake, like now, uh, 10 to 15 years right now. Right. So like when, when you actually make a sparkling sake product, it's not just about it's a sake with gas in, though. You, you actually, you build it into the story of your product, right? You, when you actually create the blueprint yep. for the sake, sparkling is an important part of that, right? Yep. Yeah. So like, you know, the way that you use the gas actually that becomes the style of the product that kind of forms part of the style of the product yes yeah. yes so um i say you know not so many breweries can brew the sparkling sake and almost breweries can brew sparkling with artificial gas it's really easy to control the gas pressure and the final taste but you know, second fermentation is really difficult, and also we don't have the experience and history to brew the sparkling sake as second fermentation. So um, we have the our sake association in Japan right now. Its association have regulation to you know recognize AWA, which we say our sake. Uh, the regulation one is brew with the rice, koji, and water. The regulation two is gas pressure is 3.5 at least. And regulation three is shipping, exporting to foreign countries to sustainable uh, control. So we say we have to uh, pasteurize before shipping the sake 
So that three uh, uh, regulation is really, really difficult for us right now. So um, 25, 30 breweries is now attending the Awasake Association. So um, Awasake is really, um, not so many breweries can brew right now. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's an elite. It's an elite uh, group of brewers who who fulfill these quite strict regulations, and I think also uh, you're not allowed to add alcohol, right? You can't make a honjozo style yeah, it, or futsushu yeah. style. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, it's very strict, regular, re strictly regulated. And uh, the Awazaki Kyokai was created by another brewer, right? Where by uh, Nagai Shuzo by uh, Umeka Mizubasho, yep. right? Okay, yep. and uh, what do you think the key is to making sparkling sake a global product that can stand on its own two feet and not just copy sparkling wine or champagne? And perhaps you have noticed some things which offer hints to achieve this in your own production with your experience. Of course, the sparkling sake is made from rice, not grape. So it's totally different from the champagne to sake sparkling. So uh, we, you know, sometimes uh, need a hint of the uh, sparkling sake or champagne, but we have to build on the um, our original global, uh, uh, how do I say, identity, yeah? I identity, identity. So, I yeah, say yeah. it's not champagne, it's not sparkling wine, it's just for sparkling sake from rice. The sparkling sake of acidity is like 1.5 to 2.5. So um, champagne and sparkling, sparkling wine is like now 3.5. So um, such a uh, elegant um, Japanese uh, cuisine, like in a sushi or sashimi, is good for with uh, sparkling sake, uh, but not champagne or sparkling wine, I think. So um, there is so many Japanese restaurants in uh, global wide. So we have to push to them, uh, compile with sparkling sake, not beer, not sparkling wine. How has the market for sparkling sake changed since the launch of your first product? And how much influence do you think your product has had on bringing about that change? Okay, hi. So uh, when I uh, started to uh, sell the sparkling sake from 2014, uh, actually that sake was uh, sparkling sake, but in green um, body. The, the fine leaves, right? The little, like the smaller, size uh, kasu or lees left over from sake production. Yes, yes. And in 2015, we brewed the uh, blue style, like a dry style and uh, a clear style, the sparkling sake. Ah, the, the brut, the brut, right? Yes. With B-R-U-T, yeah. the, the, from dry champagne style. world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, after that, you know, such a um, uh, dry and uh, high gas pressure sparkling sake was not there in Japanese sake market. So uh, people, you know, say, oh, sparkling sake, or oh, I'll already try, but 
I don't like it. Why? You know, people imagine the sparkling sake was uh, sweet, um, uh, low gas pressure. It's like, you know, um, cocktail style, a juice. Right, right. So people don't know there's such a uh, uh, high level, um, uh, high quality sparkling sake yet. So, because some some brewers were putting like making a normal sake very sweet yeah. and just putting gas yes. in, right? Yeah, yeah. Hapo, haposhu yeah. in Japanese. Kind right? of haposhu, haposhu. Yeah. So um, after 2015, some uh, fancy great restaurant uh, put on the menu of the our sparkling sake. Sometimes it's Carlton, Kyoto. They make the sparkling sake with us original level on uh, five years anniversary or the Aranjukas uh, of the French cuisine, they collaborated with us to make the original level of the sparkling sake right now. So uh, little by little, you know, people changing the imagination of the sparkling sake the world. Oh, wow. That's a very big impact. And uh, yeah. I'm wondering, um, so um, when we did the interview with uh, Ichinokura, they told us like their the first place that their sparkling sake was a hit was a sushi restaurants, which I which I thought was really interesting. Um, do, was there any kind of place where your sake was a hit that kind of surprised you in the first place? Yeah, um, we you know collaborate with the uh, five stars hotel like Narik Kauton Kyoto or Tokyo. And we collaborate with uh, ANA, air, air company in Japan, or uh, we collaborate with Dynats, uh, such a you know, um, luxury credit card. And so we collaborate with uh, such a five-star hotel or fancy brand. So, you know, that's, you know, collaboration image is good for the uh, consumer. Oh yeah, sparkling is yeah great. Yeah, such a thing. Okay, that 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 makes a lot of sense. That's kind of in line with Hi. what they do with champagne as well. Hi. So it's kind of in that it has the same kind of image as as champagne, right? Um, how can you explain your strategy with regards to promoting your sparkling sake overseas? And which countries have you found the most success? And why why okay. do you think that is? Um, honestly, um, the sparkling sake uh, uh, shipping to mainly East Asia, uh, China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Singapore, um, Europe, and US is not exploring right now. It's a really small amount because they have the uh, long history of the wine or champagne sparkling wine, but Asian people they don't have to alcohol culture of the sparkling something. And also Asian people really love the Japanese restaurant and sake. So easy to, to uh, try the sparkling sake. But future, um, we have to you know, make the brand in France or New York or UK uh, with a big, uh, great, brand or the restaurant we hope yeah, i think that's definitely possible i think that's definitely possible um okay next question um 
So um, how was your sparkling sake received when you first launched it? And has opinion changed since then? And if so, why do you think that is? So our, our sparkling sake is from uh, 1,800 yen to 50,000 yen. So um, lower class, like now, you know, 2,000 yen, it's good for, you know, supermarket or uh, convenience store or uh, such a uh, Izakaya style restaurant. And uh, uh, 50,000 yen, the sparkling sake is good for with five-star restaurant, five-star hotel, or, uh, you know, uh, the dinosaur holder. So we have several kind of the, you know, uh, sparkling sake style, and we have several um, the price zone. So low price zone is good for mass marketing, and upper price is close marketing. It's good for us, I think. So when I was start sell the sparkling sake from 2014, they say, wow, it is great because of the um, not sweet and high pressure or high gas pressure. So people didn't, you know, um, have the experience such as sparkling sake style. And yeah, now we collaborate with uh, Santry Whiskey. Uh, we put on the, uh, put the sake on the whiskey bar from Hakshu, few weeks in the refrigerator and second fermentation. So it is, it is a totally new method of the sparkling sake in Japan. So people, you know, enjoy with such uh, a sake, uh, with sushi or yeah, Japanese restaurant sometimes. That's very interesting because uh, Ichinokura spoke about aging sake uh, in their interview. And uh, I've tasted your, uh, it's a mori no kanade. Uh, it's uh, sake made, um, the sparkling sake is uh, matured in uh, Suntory uh, whiskey barrels. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's so multi-layered and very, it has a lot of depth and complexity, which I never experienced with sparkling sake before. So it's incredible. I think it's like same level as champagne, like an aged champagne or blended champagne. Very, 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 very high level. Thank you. One of your major sparkling sake products is a yearly special collaboration with a local artist. Uh, I will actually, this artist, uh, he's, he's no longer alive, right? But he's a very famous artist, American artist. He was very big in the 70s, right? Um, uh, Keith Haring. And uh, can you tell us a bit more about this and explain what inspired you about this artist and, and yeah. his art in general and yeah. how that fits in with the story yep. of the product? We the um spot item like now uh we brought only two thousand bottles sparkling sake for special we call yeah we call expression series so every year uh master brewer try to uh making the sparkling sake with new method and collaborate with the uh great famous artists so from 2018 to 2020, that three years, we collaborated with uh, Keith Redding uh, from New York uh, because um, in this place, Hokuto City, 
we have the uh, museum of the kiss herring. Uh, we, you know, sometimes visit here. We inspire here, you know, uh, free, you know, uh, new uh, expression of the art. So um, kiss herring, the artist, you know, he express what he thinking about it. And also uh, such a master, he also thinking, you know, how uh, can he express the, you know, uh, of the feeling of the sake. So um, artist and sake master is sometimes same, you know, um, similar, similar mind, yeah? Mindset, so, mindset, right? So, yes. Yeah. That's very interesting. Well, they're both artists. They're both artisans. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, how much of a key role do the ingredients, rice, water, and yeast, etc., play in your sparkling sake production? Are you producing any ingredients specially for making the sparkling range? So uh, not sparkling sake. It's a, a, a total sake category. We brewery, my brewery is thinking the uh, water is most important for us to brewing the sake, no rice, no yeast. Because of the uh, water is, um, you know, we purchased the rice from all over the Japan. We can choose, you know, Yamada Nishiki, Omachi, um, everything in Japan. So we are not, you know, rice shop. We just start a brewery, and we only we can you know only my brewery can choose this water from this place. Other brewery can cannot you know choose this water. So it's like the the rice you can you can use like a different rice from all over Japan and wherever you want. No, no matter where you are in Japan, you can use rice from say you know prefectures. You know, in other parts of Japan, but when it comes to the yes. water, yeah. uh, you can only use the water which is available to you locally, and other breweries can't don't have access to that water. So yes, yeah, it's very unique. Yes, yes. So I know that you make the water the very big focus of your of all your sake, not just the sparkling sake. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how important is the base sake for making sparkling sake? Yeah, that's good questions. Actually, um, the base sake is most uh, important process to making sparkling sake because we told you, you know, we cannot add sugar after making the base sake. We cannot add yeast after making base sake. So base sake of the alcohol, acidity, a sweetness, and alcohol level is no, very, very important to making sparkling sake. We have to control them. Otherwise, the uh, uh, lot one is gas pressure over 5.5. Lot two, uh, gas pressure should be like 3.5. So it's, you know, we have to control, we have to make it sustainable. And we have to, you know, continue to, you know, making the same quality of the sparkling sake. So that is why the base sake is really important for us. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, how 
do you adjust the strength of the moose? Um, you know, I think the, um, after the goals and then um, making clear and uh, pasteurization, after that, we keeping the, you know, sake in warehouse a few uh, months. So that process, the uh, a bubble uh, or size should be, you know, um, uh, small and small and moderate with the sake. Did you do any market research before launching your first sparkling sake to identify a target demographic, flavor profile, or price point? If so, how did this research influence your production process and marketing strategy? So um, to, we researched the market of the Japan of the alcohol uh, market. Uh, I told you uh, more than 60% of the alcohol, including the gas and how much percent is the sake volume in Japan? It's uh, only 5%. Other 95% is uh, beer, shochu, uh, whiskey, wine, champagne, or liquor. So we focus on the, you know, the people who do not drink the sake, who drinks uh, wine or champagne. So um, in Japan, there is 1,500 breweries, sake breweries in Japan. They, you know, almost, they almost, you know, thinking about the sake market, just 5%. But, you know, it's really uh, difficult, you know, to making the share. So we just, you know, uh, focus on the, uh, the people who, don't, who do not drink the sake. Outside of restaurants that specialize in Japanese cuisine, uh, what styles of international cuisine is Shichiken Sparkling Sake range showing the strongest growth in? So um, the, our sparkling sake is for, good for Japanese restaurant with kanpai. So, um, you know, almost Japanese restaurant serving the uh, beer as kanpai, but, you know, the restaurant have to, you know, um, making the, their own brand, right? So all restaurants having beer. So it's, you know, boring. So people sometimes, so, you know, some uh, um, restaurant who want to, you know, um, serving the, uh, not beer. Yeah, it's a special, uh, something sparkling sake. So uh, we try to them to put on the menu and, you know, marketing. What are your hopes and dreams for Sparkling Sake in the scope of your own brand for Sake or, or for Sake in general? And are there any new products in the pipeline you would like to share with us? And do you have a message for our listeners? Okay. So um, my dream or my brewery uh, dream is, you know, we get the number one position of the, uh, any kind of the category. So, um, you know, we cannot get the number one uh, title of the Jumai, Jumai Ginjo, Jumai Dai Ginjo, Koshu, Yamahai, Kimoto, Namazake. We cannot get in the number one prize in such a categories, but we could 
getting the number one position of the sparkling sake because that market is new, not don't have the history yet. So yeah, and also we love the sparkling sake. So um, actually, I'm the sorry uh, eight years right now. So we you know my we can you know uh, uh, working as this brewery uh, more than 30 years. So in 30 years, we have to making the sparkling sake brand in Japan and also foreign countries and getting the number of position in 30 years, I hope. Oh, that's a big, that's a big uh, dream. I'm really excited for the future for Shichiken. Thank you very much, Thank Mr. You. Kitara Hara, for uh, giving me so much of your time for this interview. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks again so much to everyone for tuning into this week's episode of Sake on Air. If you have any more questions about the fascinating world of sparkling sake, please do reach out to us. We welcome both your questions as well as stories of your own experiences and discoveries with the style. We'll be revisiting this topic again down the road, and so any thoughts and feelings that you're willing to share now will serve as fuel for us developing a future episode of Sake on Air. Remember that you can always go ahead and leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts or whatever service it is that you rely upon for your regular podcasting needs. Or you can always reach out to us also at questions at sakeonair.com. Go ahead and follow along with our sake and shochu-fueled adventures over on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And you can go ahead and check out a whole bunch of material over on our YouTube channel as well. Sake on Air is made possible with the generous support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association and is broadcast from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center in the heart of Tokyo. The show is a co-production between Export Japan and Potsuke Productions. Thanks again so much for tuning in this week, and we'll be back with more Sake and Shochu adventures in just two weeks. Until then, kanpai!